Attention freelancers and solopreneurs. Freelancers and solopreneurs. You are tuning into the Remote CEO, a show that will help you scale your business, become the authority in your market, grow into a better leader, and create your remote empire. And now, your host, acclaimed business coach and entrepreneur, Deniero B. What's going on, CEOs? This is Deniero B, and you are listening to the Saturday interview episode of the Remote CEO Show. I always make sure to have the most interesting guests and ask them practical and actionable questions so that you can take that knowledge and scale your business with it. So if you do enjoy this podcast, I would love for you to leave a review on your podcast app. It only takes a couple of minutes and it will make a big difference. Now, don't forget that we do release the five-minute episodes every single day at around 6 a.m. Eastern time. So subscribe to the show and you will get bite-sized actionable content delivered for free to your device. Also, share this podcast with other fellow entrepreneurs, freelancers, and solopreneurs. You're on the rise, so it only makes sense that you share this journey with like-minded people. And don't forget that the more you talk about these topics with other people, the more you will understand them and make them part of your everyday life. And now, let's get started. What is going on, CEOs? Daniel will be here with another episode of the Remote CEO Show. Today, I'm here with Bonnie Hewitt. Bonnie is a fantastic entrepreneur. She started selling custom clothing and accessories on Etsy a few years ago. Then during the pandemic, she branched out and started making masks and other products from recycled items. Then the business took off and she ended up on Bloomberg TV's Two Minute Drill, the new show for entrepreneurs that will also air on Amazon Prime Video. Not only that, but she also is the finalist from the third episode. So I can't wait for this conversation. Let's get right into it. All right, Bonnie, again, thanks a lot for being here on the Remote CEO show today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. No problem at all. Listen, Bonnie, we said great things about you, and I'm super excited to have you on the show, like I said, because you've been working with Dave Meltzer as well. So before we get started, can you please tell us how you became an entrepreneur and about you know your story? Sure. So I think entrepreneurship was kind of part of just who I was from a very early age. I was one of those kids who was door knocking, selling greeting cards and whatnot. Um, A lot of it kind of stemmed from the fact that I was very aware of the fact that um, we didn't have a lot of money growing up and I wanted to do what I could to get the kind of things that kids want that maybe my parents couldn't necessarily provide, not necessities, but like, you know, other toys or whatnot. Um, so I honestly was trying to do something entrepreneurial or sales wise all the way from being a kid. I sold Avon in my teens. I've sold, did some other MLM stuff coming up and my real entrepreneurship journey, I think though, began after I got sick. Um, so I was, I'd studied to be an accountant, um, after having my oldest two kids And in 2011, after working in the field for maybe six years, um, I got contracted, I guess you could say, a rare illness called Guillain-Barre syndrome that left me paralyzed and 
basically was like having a stroke. So I had to learn how to walk and talk and eat and all of those things uh, all over again. And it had quite an impact on my cognitive skills. Um, so working, I tried to come home actually after they released me from the hospital and go back to work the next day. Um, but it became apparent very quickly that I wasn't able to retain knowledge like I had before. And I was having a difficult time um, learning new tasks. Um, and my short-term memory was pretty much shot. So about a month or two after that, I ended up being let go from my job and having to apply for disability. And um, a lot of other medical stuff kind of came up over the next few years, uh, things that I've been dealing with for the past almost decade now. Um, but when I, when I had my third child in 2013, um, I was looking for ways to kind of make money to supplement what my husband was doing and just to really help out with the family finances again. And I, so I started reselling on eBay. Um, and yeah, I mean, it really just kind of was one thing into another. So I, like, I tried something, it either worked or it didn't work, or maybe I didn't like it. Um, and I found myself again in 2016 after when I got pregnant with my fourth child, <laughs> um, really kind of going back to my creative roots and looking for a way to make money that way. So that's kind of a very, a sh very short synopsis of how I got to, um, kind of what I'm building currently in my business now nice. and why. <laughs> nice. First off. Congrats with uh, everything that you just said and overcoming this this huge thing uh, that happened to you. And, and you know you are on on this call with me today, recording this podcast, and it's really really impressive what you've been able to do uh, in such a short period of time—not even a decade, basically. But with that said, uh, now you have this business. Not only you have a business, but you are uh, on TV, basically. You are uh, growing your business. I was just wondering, like, did it take a lot of capital to get started? Because here's the problem with a lot of people that want to scale a business, start a business. They think they need, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars uh, in the bank to start a business. Can you tell us a bit more? Take us to the very first few months of your business. How was it uh, in how much, you know, time and, and effort and money you had to invest in, in building it? So one word to describe it would be scrappy because no, I did not have income. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I had, you know, my husband was working minimum wage or just above minimum wage. Like I said, we had four kids. We have four kids. Um, and I started with a Silhouette Cameo cutting machine that was gifted to me for my birthday. And what this machine does is it cuts various um, types of materials like vinyl and paper, cardstock, that type of stuff. Uh, and how I got started was making decals. So like the kind you see, like the little fit stick figure families yeah. on the back of people's yeah, windshields. Sure. <laughs> um, my husband was heavily involved in car audio at the time and was on a team and um my initial thought was making stuff for the team um and so i started really really i guess small if you want to think about it that way um i had probably 50 dollars in materials and vinyl yeah. um and this cutting machine and the software was free. So no, I did not have thousands of dollars. I did not have lots of capital. I did, however, spend a lot of time. 
um, learning new software and the ins and outs of the machine and about, co you know, copyright and trademark and what I could cut and what I couldn't cut. And um, really, I, I, time probably was the biggest thing that I invested in the very beginning and, and a lot of the past four years um, because I was one of hundreds of thousands of people doing something very similar. I had no marketing or sales experience. I mean, I had sales experience as far as like MLM type stuff yeah. and it's knocking on doors, um, but you don't do that with vinyl decals. <laughs> no, that's um, okay. But here, and, here's the thing. So I don't want to interrupt you, but you know, no, sure. not door, door to door sales is still one of the hardest trying, uh, types of sales out there. So if you were able to do that, you know, that is awesome. You know, just let me tell your props for that. Yeah, that was something I did as a kid and uh, with M with MLM stuff, like I sold Avon. So that was door to door yeah. um, for the most part. But for this, I definitely didn't. I wasn't in any shape uh, physically. Um, my health was not that great. And mm -hmm. I had a newborn. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, I have sure. to say that very first Christmas, and this is going to sound like, you know, small potatoes to a lot of people, but I made like $385 in a matter of a week making ornaments and some other Christmas items. And considering I had only had the machine for, you know, a couple of months, that to me was a really big deal because that paid for my Christmas for my little guys. Um, yes. That allowed us to have Santa come that year, you know, and it was funny because that Christmas, actually, a friend of mine reached out and asked me, do you remember the dabbing Santa Claus? Do you remember the, the phase? I don't know if you know it because it was more for kids. But this was a, 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 a fad, I guess, was this dabbing Santa Claus figure. And a oh, friend of mine came to me yeah. and asked me, could I make it? And I'm like, I don't know because it's a special type of vinyl for clothing, you know? Yeah. So I never used the material. I had never tried cutting something that was like seven different colors, but I was like, sure, you know what? I'm going to give it a try. Like I'm done making Christmas pre presents. So let me give this or gifts, whatever. Let me give it a shot. Yeah. So because my friend asked and I said, yes, I made my very first clothing piece and I absolutely fell in love with it because unlike the adhesive vinyl that you stick on windows and mugs and whatnot, um, that was giving my arthritic hands a really hard time, the HTV for clothes allowed me to a little bit of play so I could move things around before mm -hmm. I pressed it. And I was like, oh, yes, this is for me because this allows me to make mistakes but not have the final product turn out, you know, bad yeah. or have to start over. Um, and that's how I got into making custom apparel. Um, yeah, it was just a request from a friend and saying yes. That is awesome. Yeah. So take us through the process. So you got started. Now you have a business model that in a way is, uh, it's something that you know, it's working. All right. So what was your next step? T tell, uh, tell us what Bonnie did at that point when she said, okay, business is, is, is you know, is working. Now, wh what did you do? So I, I kept practicing um, because, so I started here again, scrappy, you're supposed to use a heat press to press vinyl to get the best results. I couldn't afford a heat press at that point. Um, it's a heavy, heavy duty sort of industrial piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. Um, so the alternative was using an iron and standing on it. And no, I'm not joking, <laughs> <laughs> um, to get a good solid press. And so I did that for a few months and, um, then my husband's team, I think was the next big project came to me and asked me if I wanted to make the, the team shirts. 
And I jumped on that because that allowed me to buy a heat press. Saying yes to that allowed me to get that piece of equipment that not only made my life easier, but it made my products a lot better and um, solid quality that I was proud to sell. <laughs> yes. Um, and from there, really, I did a lot of craft shows. I tried that for a while. And it's interesting because the craft shows didn't work out for me great as far as selling. And it was a lot of travel and a lot of time involved. Um, but what it did is it gave me um, a chance to see where I could fit in niche-wise in this huge saturated market. And I noticed when I was at these craft shows that a lot of the vendors, actually most of the vendors, did not have their logos on anything. So they would have like a handmade sign or um, maybe the sign was the only thing they had with their logo on it. But I noticed none of them were wearing like T-shirts or hats or anything like that. So I got the courage at the one show to walk up to a guy and ask him, I was like, hey, I like your logo. Your sign looks awesome. How would you like to have t-shirts with it? And he was like, you can do that. And I was like, yes, I can. Wow. And he was like my first, you know, me acquired um, client that I got to make a large batch of shirts. It felt like a large batch. At that time, it was a large batch of t-shirts and hoodies yeah. and whatnot for and um, what I did in the beginning was I gave people like a small discount to allow me to put my logo like on the sleeve or the cuff or somewhere that was noticeable but didn't take over their logo. Yeah. Um, and people really uh, took to that. So it worked out for, for both of us. So that's, that's awesome. yeah. That's awesome. You know what? There's two things that you said in this call today, in this uh, podcast episode today, that really stood out to me the most. The first thing you said that you had the entrepreneurial spirit since you were a little kid. And I feel like that is something that every single one of my guests say about themselves, <laughs> even though they didn't really have a full out business yet, of course, but all of us knew that we wanted to do something different. So that's the first thing that really, really stood out to me. The second thing that stood out to me is the fact that you are going around and really stopping people and really like showing, you know, that, uh, you know, you can find clients anywhere you go. You can really build a business by simply being in tune with what's going on around you. And when you are in that state of mind of, you know, being on the hunt for the next big client or not even big, but next client in general, things are going to work out. So listen, I'm very excited to really know what's happening for your business in the next few years. Um, what's your plan right now that you're going to be on TV as well? So uh, are you like, you know, scaling or what's happening? So I actually did the TV show back in December and my episode aired uh, January 22nd. Nice. Um, and it's interesting because had you asked me the same question uh, about a year ago, I would have had a completely different answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it was about this time, as everybody knows, that you know the world kind of shut down and mm -hmm. demand for what I was doing plummeted. There was everybody either had somebody that they were already using, so I wasn't acquiring new clients, or the clients that I already had were either they didn't have a use for, you know, new shirts because they weren't able to, you know, do their business at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and everybody was being kind of being scrappy. 
at least in my realm and that what I was aware of at the time. But what happened was I had um, a couple of people ask me in the beginning of April if I could make custom masks. And I'm like, nope. You know, I don't sew. I don't know how to use a sewing machine. I have no interest in doing this. And then the third person came and I was like, oh, it's like, okay, this is a sign because I believe like in the that. law of three, right? <laughs> and I'm like, I have this 60 year old vintage sewing machine in my garage that I've never touched. That was one of those things where oh, I'm going to make cute kids clothes. No, it sat in there yeah. and collect, <laughs> collect the dust, right? And I was like, okay. I have to at least attempt this. So we pull out the machine. I have a few videos, I think, still up on my Instagram that show me dusting off this machine and plugging it in. And it was, I'm going to try to keep this short. So any long story short, that machine was broken and unusable. And I borrowed a machine from a friend that was also semi-broken. But from April 8th till April 21st, so a little less than two weeks, I learned how to sew and opened an Etsy shop making masks. All because, again, somebody asked, and I was like, yeah, let's try this, <laughs> you know? And um, it was really cool. My, my idea from the beginning was to make as many custom masks for clients that I could and then use that to donate masks to other high-risk people like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, because at that time, masks were you, – you couldn't get them unless you were buying them from somebody handmade. Um, and – it very quickly kind of blossomed into this love of sewing and making things. I've always loved making things with my hands. Um, but when I got sick, that I kind of got limited to what I could felt I could do with my hands. So I got to prove myself wrong again. Um, and uh, the biggest thing, though, was that supplies were extremely hard to get a hold of. So I'm actually holding a piece of fidget elastic in my hand. And oh, okay. there's about a, a foot of elastic typically cost like 10 cents or so yeah. and prices had skyrocketed to like $4 a foot. Oh. Um, oh yeah. So I've had to find a workaround for that. And it was interesting because I was using t-shirts. I used what I had again, like scrappy. I was using t-shirts to make the mask. I was using hair ties to make the ear bands. I mean, I really kind of had to figure out a way to make it work if I wanted it to work. Right. What I also did though, is my mom had brought me some, vintage fabric and I almost instantly fell in love and I had her going all over the place to her older friends who were no longer sewing and I was buying up like their basements basically so I'm getting boxes and boxes and boxes of this gorgeous vintage fabrics and notions and elastic and all these other things so a few months later I after working with these fabrics um I really was making a lot of new things out of old things. And I've always kind of been eco-conscious and recycling, upcycling. And I remember going to David, well, I got this idea one night, like midnight, I don't know, I was working on something. And I was like, I wonder if I could build an upcycling company. So I go to David Meltzer and I ask him, I said, do you think this is something I could like make work scalable? And I give him a quick rundown of my idea. And he was like, absolutely. So that was my green light. I was like, okay, I'm gonna try this. And then honestly, I sat on the idea for a couple of months because I didn't want to know what to do next. Um, And I kept trying just different things and just kept sewing and trying different upcycles. And um, that's when the two minute drill, I heard that it was going to TV and they were looking for contestants. And I'm a part of David's private coaching uh, group Mm -hmm. over on Facebook. And I kept kind of hinting at the fact that I wanted to do this, but I never really thought 
seriously that I was going to do it. And I didn't really feel like I belonged because I was listening to episodes that they had done on Instagram and YouTube. Um, and I, I didn't feel like I had any way to compete with any of these people. So I was kind of just kicking the idea around. And it was funny because I kept asking, like, how do I, how do I write a pitch? How do I do this? How do I do that? And at one point um, in mid-November, I think it was, he was talking about, you know, everybody who hasn't already applied for the pitch competition apply. That means you, Bonnie, and like calls me out in front of the entire group. Mm -hmm. And that was, and so that was another one of those moments where I was like, I've got to at least try this, right? Still waited three more days before I filled out the application. And it's funny because when I finally did, um, they have you write a mini pitch and I had no idea what to write, but just the fact that I got on there to try it all of a sudden, like the idea started flooding my head and I had, was able to write it on the spot. And the same with like the, um, they ask you for your, um, target audience, which I had like, I've been trying for six months to figure this out. I have no idea. And all of a sudden, boom, it came to me and I filled out this form and sent it in and so anyways, long story short, I was super excited because I didn't think I was going to do it. Didn't think I was going to get in. I got accepted. I was running around the house screaming because I got accepted. And then I had to write the pitch. And that was a super interesting process. Um, but all along, I'm thinking, I'm going to do my best so I don't embarrass myself and so I don't embarrass David. <laughs> but I never really seriously thought that I was going to be able to compete with the other people that were going to be on the show, right? Mm -hmm. And a bunch of other stuff came up. So the day I recorded, we had no power. Our power went out. <laughs> I didn't get back. Uh, wasn't able to log on until like five minutes before the, the competition started. Um, and, but I made it. And I was listening to other people pitch. And I'm like, these are great. I don't, I'm going to give them my best pitch. But I still wasn't feeling like there was any chance I was going to win, right? And at the very end, they, uh, they tell you, so everybody gives all their pitches and everything. And at the end, they tell you the person who's won is going to be the only person to pop up on the screen. Um, and everybody else, just hold on because we're going to get to you to ask you some questions. So I'm standing there and standing there. There's lots of waiting around. And all of a sudden, I see my <laughs> face pop up on the screen. And I'm trying not to scream, right? <laughs> like, all this time, it's like, no, 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 you don't belong here. And I'm telling myself this, even though I know you shouldn't. And I just never saw it playing out that way. Um, and it did, and it was fabulous. It was su such a crazy, surreal, exciting, terrifying experience. Um, and like I said, my episode aired the January 22nd and it's mm. been kind of a crazy, um, I don't know, up and down roller, you know, roller coaster since then. So yeah, for sure. Listen, um, I understand imposter syndrome. A lot of entrepreneurs have that, you know, feeling of not being good enough or that their product is not good enough and or they're not good salespeople. But, you know, we are our worst critics and we know that. And the most yes. important thing, like you taught us in this episode, is to keep on doing the work, even if you feel that way. Because, you know, you're here telling me that uh, you didn't feel or you didn't believe in yourself at a certain point or you didn't feel like you were going to be up for the task. But in reality, you were still showing up. You were still going and, you know, building your business bit by bit. You were still showing up at the show and everything else. So I applaud you for that. And I'm sure that my listeners at home will want to know more about you. So, you know, Bonnie, where can people find you and your products online? 
Um, so I have a website. It's poshnotions.com. I'm also on Etsy um, under Posh Notions. In fact, you can find me pretty much anywhere on social media under Posh Notions. And that's P-O-S-H-N-O-T-I-O-N-S. Um, so Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever everybody hangs out. Awesome. Cool. Bonnie, it was a pleasure having you here on the show and I'm looking forward to having you in the future to uh, see where you're at with the business and have a great day. Thank you so much. You too. And this is it for today, CEOs. Thanks for staying with us until the end. Can I ask you a big favor? Can you please leave a review? I know the podcast app is not super straightforward. So if you don't know how to leave a review, just DM me on Instagram at denierob, D-E-N-I-E-R-O-B. And I will send you the direct link to the review section. And to show you my appreciation, I will answer any business question you ask me during that conversation. So thank you again. And I will talk to you again soon.